Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast, the official podcast of FilmPulse.net. This is episode number 138. My name is Adam Patterson. With me today we have Kevin Rakestraw. How you doing, Kevin? Hanging in there. Cool. Hanging in. This week on the show we'll be bringing back director William Dickerson on the show to talk about his latest film, Don't Look Back. We'll also be reviewing Dead Snow 2, Red vs. Dead, which opened this weekend uh, in theaters and video on demand. And, of course, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions, new on Video On Demand and DVD and Blu-ray releases. Let's go ahead and jump into our interview with director William Dickerson and talk about his latest film, Don't Look Back. Will Dickerson, welcome back to the show. How the hell are you doing, sir? I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, happy to be back. Awesome. So this is going to be kind of a, a different and possibly slightly awkward conversation that we're having today. <laughs> okay. Because... You knew, you know I wasn't the biggest fan of the movie that we're going to be discussing, Don't Look Back. Correct. But I wanted to have you on the show because this was your first experience as a hired gun on a project. And I thought that that topic right. could make for an interesting conversation. So Absolutely. I wanted to start by telling us just a little bit about the movie and how you came to uh, be on the project. Well, um you familiar with uh, Detour, right? Yep, absolutely. Big fan. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, um, I, that that movie took about five years to make, right? Um, when I graduated film school, I graduated right at the right at around the time of the writer strike, so it wasn't the best um, moment to be breaking into the business. Uh, so my writing partner and I came up with this idea to make something minimally, and uh, we wrote Detour, and it took took about three years to get made independently. And once we got in the can, it took another two years to um, finish the film and get it get it out there. It, it actually, by the time we got it out there, it worked out quite well. Warner Brothers had licensed the film. We got theatrically released and on demand. Uh, it was great. It was released last year. That got me, you know, some attention. And um, while that was in the midst of a, a release, I had done a movie called The Mirror independently, kind of just uh, an experiment of sorts that I shot over a couple of years. Um, now this, this movie, Don't Look Back, it, it was um, completely opposite the, the way the way it occurred. Uh, a production company, a mini mini studio, if you will, loved Detour, um, and they had this project in mind. It was kind of a contained thriller, uh, minimal cast, minimal locations. Um, they saw what I could do with just that and Detour. I mean, you can't get any more minimal than one guy in a car, more or less. Um, and uh, they they had a script and they were working on a script, and finally, when they had uh, had a version to show me. They showed it to me. It's like, hey, we want to we want to make this movie. We want to make it by the end of the year. And this was October, right? And the end of the year was two months. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it kind of it it, it 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 dropped into my lap, and I thought I had a lot of potential. Um, and uh, there were a few things I wanted to work on. It's like my writing part. I wanted to work on. They gave us uh, uh, two weeks to to rewrite it, uh, which is not a lot of time. Uh, so we we rewrote it, made it our own. It was still essentially the same story, but made it as, as ours as, uh, as possible. Um, and then three, week, three weeks later, we were in production, right? So they say either make, make something independently, it takes forever, like the first two movies I did, or you get this crazy opportunity out of nowhere and you just have to jump on it. Hey, you're shooting tomorrow. Like you hear stories like that all the time, but that's what actually happens. <laughs> or what. So you, you and your writing partner did rewrites on the script. And this was in Correct. October, 
and you had to have was this yeah. completely finished as in post-production everything done by the end of the year no 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 okay. yeah uh, i was gonna say that's I, crazy oh no that's that's impossible <laughs> well maybe not impossible but, but we had to get it in the can so we shot the movie uh we ended up going into pre-production in the first week of november we started shooting the first week of december and then um finished the film right before the holidays and then we edited from mid-January into March. Uh, and then we were done in April, beginning of April, completely done. Now, th- it's, this is kind of a tricky movie to talk about plot-wise because there there's yeah, some significant yeah. twists that happen towards the end. But maybe you could just give the listeners uh, the general uh, outline of the movie, just the bare essentials. Absolutely. Um yeah, when, I, when I'm at the logline question, it's really very thin because, it's like as you said, there's so much to give away. But Nora, Nora Clark, played, played by Lucy Griffith, um, is a children's book author uh, who, you know, of note, and she ends up uh, dealing with the death of her grandmother and uh, inheriting her house in, in uh, Idlewild, California, in the middle of the woods, the house she grew up in when she was uh younger because her parents died at an early age. So when she goes back and moves in to finish her next book, she starts to confront a lot of her past demons, people in the town, um, and these repressed memories start to bubble up that she has to deal with. Uh, And in the midst of dealing with them, she takes on a roommate um, who helps her deal with them. And this it's tough to talk about the roommate because, as as the log line says, and I she may or may not be who she appears to be. It's kind of an accurate uh, description, or am I just giving the whole movie away? <laughs> yeah, it, it it plays out something like a, a psychological thriller. And when you when you initially sent me the movie, you said that it was you were going for an early De Palma vibe, and it really has that. I mean, you definitely nailed the early De Palma stuff the i think the only thing that was missing was uh like three or four split screen shots in there <laughs> the... i would have loved yeah i would have loved to have tried some i don't know if i would have gotten away with it uh but yeah what, what i like about the palma right because if you look at uh you know and something you mentioned in the in the review which i don't necessarily disagree with is that there are moments to feel over the top and perhaps uh touching on uh, literary tropes or cinematic tropes of the past. Now, De Palma was a master. I'm not comparing myself to, to right. De Palma, yeah. right, as far as talent goes. But he he would take genre material and um, stuff that might be over the top or, you know, I like to call his work operatic. That's the, the term I use because what's so interesting about him is he can take this kind of grandiose material and make it really visually appealing. And then he kind of, uh, he tries to dig deeper below the surface of the genre and kind of pull out this metaphoric value to it, right? Like Carrie is not, it's a horror movie, yes, but actually it's, a, it's, a, it's about a woman coming of age, right? And living with a mother who's re- repressed her sexuality, right? And that's a pretty deep concept to, to delve into in, in the guise of the horror movie, but I think it's beautifully done. Um, and his movies are so visual. He's one of the few directors even right now, where you can turn down the volume on his films and you understand what's going on. I mean, he's a one, he's a visual storyteller uh, through and through. So I felt like, oh, this is interesting. You know, this is the first genre movie, really, that I got to make. I mean, Detour, you can say it's a disaster thriller, but yeah, it's more of a character, right? It's mm-hmm. kind of, you know, him dealing with uh, becoming another person while he's in the car, when he finally, you know, gets out. Uh, 
Um, but here, okay, this has to be a psychological thriller. There are twists and turns that people may or may not see coming. Um, but what kind of themes can I delve into? So, um, you know, I approach every movie I told the producers. I, I approach every movie as though it's the last movie I'll, I'll ever make. I, I have to, I, I love it, right? But I also understand it might not be for, for everybody and similar stories have been explored before. Um, you know, there's also, and people also liken it to Fight Club or female version of, of Fight Club. But maybe if it had come out before Fight Club, uh, it would have gotten a different, um, some different feedback. I don't know, but uh, I'm, I'm quite fond of it. I, I think it would have, honestly, because that, that was the big thing that brought it down for me. But like I said in the review, I really liked the, the exploration of this character. I thought that that was... Again, it wasn't just the the visuals that that felt yeah. De Palma esque to me. It was the the character study as well, and that's what I really I really gravitate towards movies that get into these like deep uh, character studies of of troubled or broken or uh, sure. you know injured people. And I thought that the way that you handled this, especially at the end, was was really good. Um, the the yeah. other very specific scene that you did at the very, very end where it pulls back through the whole house. I thought that was amazing. Yeah. I loved, I loved that shot. I thought that was. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's a shot. Like my DP and I, this is the same DP I used on detour and for parts of the mirror. I mean, we're, we're like, you know, attached at the hip to each other. I mean, I'm really, I'm the kind of director that works very, very long hours with my DP. We shot lists, we storyboard the whole movie. We had that shot in mind from the beginning. Uh, and I, I don't know if you noticed this, but the shot is actually, we shot that backwards. Uh, it's not, we're not actually coming out of the house. We're going into the house. I and we wondered. It in post. I, I, thought, I <laughs> thought that's what it was, but I wasn't sure. Because <laughs> it was, I mean, obviously it's as it's intended, but it was near impossible to do it the other oh, way yeah. and get it right. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a small house. Um, and it's also uh, the, the the movie. Um, it, there's a lot of steady cam, and I I haven't had this much experience with steady cam before. Virtually the whole movie was steady cam. We had some wonderful operators who worked uh, uh, miracles because I really wanted to because the two characters are so entwined and we're tricking the audience into thinking one thing. I really wanted to have a lot more long shots have them in the frame and then cut to another person without actually cutting mm -hmm. um, to, to help solidify that trick. Um, so I felt Steadicam was the best device to, to, use, to do that, and it worked out um, quite well, I thought. Now I want to get into some of the maybe uh, hurdles that you had to deal with when mm -hmm. being a, a quote-unquote hired gun on this project. Sure. Because you, you also told me uh, in an email that you had to do two different versions of a lot of parts of this. I was wondering if you could Correct. get into that a little bit. Well, it's interesting because the, um, the studio that, that made the film, they do a lot of um, TV films, uh, TV movies, and they're starting, uh, they're getting bigger and bigger. They're starting to branch out into the, into the indie world and do theatrical releases. So we didn't quite know where this movie was going. Um, I was never told this is going to be a TV movie, and I, but on the other hand, I was never told this is going to be a, a theatrical release. Um, but for some of the edgier things, like the sex scenes, there are two sex scenes in it, um, and there's a fair amount of violence and, and graphic scenes. Uh, I had to shoot a lot of those twice. 
right? So like in the sex scene, I would shoot it uh, an edgier version and then I would do it again and kind of uh, veer on the side of censorship mm-hmm. somewhat. Then we'd have to have a, uh, we'd have to have a moment where, okay, we, we'll curse, then we'll do one where we don't curse. Um, and that was, I'd rather not do it that way because, you know, you kind of waste time because it's only going to go to one place, right? Um, and the thing is, it was on a 14-day uh, schedule, which is really fast. I mean, Detour, you think, is an easier movie to shoot because it's more minimal, but that was a 23-day shoot. Mm. <laughs> and I still didn't think I had enough time. It, this was 14 days, so we had to get like 40 to 50 shots per day, which is, um, which is nuts. Uh, I mean, we were prepared enough, and we knew that going into it, so uh, we were expecting that. But not only to do 40 and 50 shots a day, but also have to do some scenes um, a couple of different ways, just so we had options, was it was tricky, you know. Um, and and it's another. Luckily, uh, what saved me was the the rehearsal time that I had before we shot. Um, typically, in a situation like this, especially stuff that goes to TV, you don't ever really rehearse the actors until the day of the shoot, which is crazy to me. Um, but luckily the three leads had time, had a full week devoted to rehearsing with me before we shot, which was wonderful. And they did it, they, they volunteered, you know, for free. Uh, and I couldn't have really made the movie uh, the way it is without doing that um, because there just wouldn't have been enough time. But you get on the set and you block the scene, that sometimes takes a half hour. That's for one shot. Uh, but this time we all we knew the blocking going in. We didn't spend more than two minutes blocking it. Everyone knew what they were doing. Uh, rarely did we go over more than three takes. Um, if an actor wanted another take, I would, you know, I would give it to them and maybe change things up because they knew everyone knew what a tight schedule it was, and they were used to working on on indie style features before. Right. So. And I will say, Rowdy Roddy Piper is in this. <laughs> And uh, this is yeah. probably the best role I've seen him in since they live. I mean, he was, wow. I, I was surprised. I was surprised at how good he was in this movie because his character is a lot more deep than I think previous roles. And yeah. I thought his character was insanely creepy too. Like, <laughs> I don't want to give anything away, yeah. but like, yeah, that dude is creepy yeah, in this movie. Great. Good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you reacted to him in that way. I mean, he. I'm a huge fan of his. Obviously, they live. <laughs> it's a cult film. I love it. Uh, I was a big WWF fan growing up, and I had his, you know, action figure mm-hmm. and everything. Um, and my, the casting director, Michael Testa, who also wrote the original version of the script, he he had brought up Roddy to me to play Eddie, and I hadn't thought of him at all. I even think I wasn't even sure if he was acting anymore. Um, and he. I thought Roddy just worked with him. He's going to get back in acting. It's like, that'd be great. Uh, Let me think about that. I thought about it and I Skyped with Roddy. And at first, Roddy didn't want to play the part, you know, because he's very aware of his reputation as kind of a childhood idol. Uh, In this movie, he plays very much the opposite of that without giving it away. And I was really set on, you know what, Roddy, this would be, you're playing totally against type. I mean, I don't think anyone's seen you play a role like this. This I think it would be great because it's very easy to play this role uh, evil, right? Like, cast the evil guy, and he's evil. We know he's evil when we see him, and there is really a lack of suspense. But I said, I want it to be as realistic as possible. And the people that get away with this kind of stuff, they're, they're your next-door neighbor, right? They're, they're nice guys. They're people who you never expect to hear, you know, people like this doing things like this. And I really sold, sold them on the idea that you're like the mayor of this town. Everyone loves you, and that's what makes it more horrifying. 
Uh, and he's like, you know what? That, that's interesting because if I could show kids and people that, hey, you, you should you should um, be afraid of people like this too and be suspicious, then I'd be doing some good. Hmm. So he actually thought doing the role was kind of a a, a good thing for him, you know, to do. Yeah, uh, and he was great. He, he put he put all his all into it. And he's also the kind of actor um, he been in, in front of the camera his entire life. Even like on WWF doing Piper's Pit. I mean, he improvised all that stuff. Uh-huh. He knows how to act. Uh, and he would, also, he would often ask me, like, what's, what's the frame size? Is it okay, it's close up or it's a medium shot. And then he would adjust his performance accordingly because he'd know if we go closer, he'd have to be a little bit more subtle, right? I mean, he's a complete pro. That's cool. Very cool. I want to yeah. talk a little bit about uh, just going back to the the producer's involvement in this and, sure. and that type of thing like did you did you find that anything that they asked of you was stifling your creativity or did you have any uh, were there any instances where you were kind of butting heads saying like okay well sure. God, I think this is what I should be doing here and they were like no 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 that's not gonna work <laughs> well it's a good question um, well I will I will say uh, during production. Not much. Um, I was expecting more, I guess, more influence. I mean, the executive producers, the first time in my career where I had executive producers literally over my shoulder, right, throughout most of the process. Um, but what I did was in pre-production, uh, and I tend to do this anyway, I, I create these production bibles that I store where I do these like three-hour presentations and lookbooks on what the style of the movie is going to be. Um, and I gave this presentation to the, the executives um, just so they knew exactly what my game plan was because I wanted to try to cut down on the amount of questions during production because I knew I didn't have a lot of time. Um, and I also told them, I was like, David, ask me, like, how are you going to do this on such a short schedule? And I go, well, I'm not a coverage director. Um, so before they hired me, they I wanted them to know, like, look, I don't shoot regular coverage. I'm not going to do a master and do medium shots and do close-ups. If you're going to hire me, you're going to hire me to, to make some bold choices and set out to do that. So they knew that going in, which is great. Um, so to their credit, it was very hands-off. It became a little bit more hands-on, actually a lot more hands-on in the editing process. Uh, um, yeah, because that was, you know, once we got it in the can, and we had a lot of great material, um, we started cutting the film. We did not have a lot of time to cut. So it was like seven weeks. Um, the first three weeks was the editor's cut, and then the next two weeks was going to be the director's cut, and then the two weeks after that was going to be uh, producer's notes. Right, typically mm-hmm. how it goes, even though that's a pretty expedited schedule. After the, the editor's cut, we got producer's notes immediately. Right? I would have liked to have had the two weeks to do my own cut first and then get notes on that, but I kind of had to work at my own cut while also getting producer's cut. So we got uh, producer's notes. So we got the notes earlier than expected. Um, there was, I'll give you a good, good example. It's also an example of compromise. And I think it worked out for the, for the better, although I was pretty bummed to have to deal with it at first, was the, there's a death scene in the movie that involves a, a character, right? I won't say who it is, mm-hmm. um, that we shot very, I mean, like, this is probably the most of Palma has shot in the whole thing. The whole thing was a, was a wonder, right? Mm-hmm. Literal first-person point of view. So the camera is the killer, right? So looking at the victim. Uh, and it was like a two-minute shot. And it took hours to rehearse. I mean, hours upon hours upon hours. We only had time to shoot it three times. And there's a lot of moving parts, right? Going through a door, there was a special effect with a trick knife going into a chest, and the blood, practical blood effect that comes out, and then taking the camera and walking all the way through the house to find a piece of clothing. Um, and we shot it. It took half a day just to, 
just to get this down. And I thought we, we got it, nailed it. It was really cool looking. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the studio didn't really like the, the, the feel of it. They wanted it to be more, um, they wanted it to be quicker and, I guess, more flashy, uh, like more cuts. But the thing is, the trick, I kind of backed myself into a corner because I didn't shoot any covers. I just shot the one shot. So they couldn't, you can't cut anything else, right? Right. Um, so, so I, I was pushing for it, but the battle I lost. I was like, I really want this shot. There were other battles I won. Um, but I was like, look, uh, I don't know. I can't shoot cut anything else. I'm like, okay, we're either going to, you don't have to figure out a way to fix it or we're going to cut it out of the movie. I was like, oh, damn, I don't want to cut this thing out of the movie. You have to see this person die. Um, and I think it works. So how do I, how am I going to deal with this? So I thought on it for a couple of days and thought, figured out the idea of, uh, using the, the camera viewfinder as a point, a point of view. Because there's a camera in the movie that um, is at the motif, mm-hmm. right, that one of the characters uses. And it, later on, it takes on more, it, it takes on sort of a symbolism of, of threat. So I, I thought, you know what? Uh, if I make this point of view shot as though it's someone going into the house and telling this person but doing it while shooting pictures of this person, I can, I can cut, right? Because they can... Uh, hit the shutter, right? It right. can click, and it can cut to another shot, and I can um, make it more dynamic to watch, right? Uh, and also cut down on time. So my editor and I did some just hodgepodge visual effects. We did all of it ourselves, just taking pictures of the tactical camera we had, made a mask, put the mask over the shot, and then cut it up a lot. Uh, and it ended up working like a charm. Uh, and it, it's one of those instances where it's just like I was really bummed and I'm like, ah, oh, man, like, that's not my vision. Like, you know, I'm getting, uh, I don't want to cut that out. That's how I'm intending to shoot it, but I'm going to have to cut the movie, the, the scene out of the movie or try this. And I actually think by putting me in that corner, I came up with a better idea uh, that worked, um, worked for the film and, and for the story. And it makes now, after that scene, it makes the camera, when the character with the camera comes in in the next scene, it makes that much more frightening and elevates the, the suspense and the, uh, the thrill of that moment more yeah i think that scene worked out nicely i was i was waiting to hear because i knew exactly what scene you were talking about yeah. and i was like okay well i remember seeing that it, it looked pretty good <laughs> yeah no that was it's like it's, it was meant to be there right i mean i, I and my editor who shot who cut a lot of stuff but he's just such a fantastic editor blake barry um he says it's the, it's the most fun he's ever had in an edit doing that scene and the most and the most proud of you know, anything he's, he's got. Um, you know, I think it's, I think it's, it's cool. I mean, I think it would have worked the other way, but I got, I got vetoed. And it's one of those things where this is the first movie where I didn't have final cut. Right. Uh, first of all, like there are people like even Martin Scorsese doesn't get final cut. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm lucky with detour in, in the mirror because there was still no budget. And I was basically a producer on those that I can, I, I can do whatever I want. But here I really had to, you know, I pick some battles. I won some. I lost some. And you know, if it came to a point where executives were like, "Okay, cut this down," um, or or do this, I would say, "I know what you're looking for, but let me let me try it my way first. Let me try to uh, get to what you want, but let me do it my way." And approaching it like that worked out well. Instead of I could have been like, "No, I'm not going to do that," or whatever. But I, I I wanted to work and collaborate with the ideas as, as much as possible. But I knew like, hey, you know, this ultimately. Yeah, someone could take this movie away from me. I don't, I don't own it. Right. Um, so I'm going to do the best I, I can with it. Speaking of that, how does it feel? And I, I don't know if it's okay to talk about that. This will be airing on TV. Is that okay to talk about that? 
Yeah, Lifetime Movie Network on Sunday. Okay. So, or I guess when you air this, it won't be Sunday. It'll be already on. Okay, so it'll it'll be airing uh, this this coming Sunday from when we're recording, right? Yeah, October fifth. Okay, October fifth. So it'll be airing on Lifetime. I mean, does that? Uh, how did you feel about that when you first heard of it? Did were you concerned that they were gonna make more cuts to it? Because in the state that I saw it in, I feel like there's probably going to be some things that they got to cut out of that. That's a good question. I, I have not actually thought of that until you asked me. <laughs> so now I'm worrying. No, I don't know. I mean, it's small. It's uh, it's short enough. Whereas I think it's about 82 minutes. Where I don't know if they can. Obviously, they own the rights to it now, or at least they license it domestically. So I, I would assume they could do whatever they want to it. I certainly didn't cut it for commercial breaks. Right. right? So. And I was never told to, so I'm very curious to see where they cut <laughs> for commercial breaks, and I haven't seen it. Um, they might cut out more. Um, I'm not so worried about it because it's not like um, – and something that I learned with the was, you know, when we sold the that, they say, like, Warner Brothers, they could – it's pretty much bought it. Um, they uh, ostensibly do they they want to, it, but the thing is, they did for such a small amount of money, they bought more than he was made for. They probably wouldn't put that kind of money into altering it that much. Now, this was a bigger budget, but it's not Transformers. I mean, it's still a very, it's still a micro budget movie. Yeah. So I have to think the business part of me has to think that it's just, it's not worth putting more money into alter it, you know, that much. So I'm really, whatever's going to be airing, I, I would think it's pretty close. It's not exactly the same as what I delivered. I think it'll be interesting to see, what what that's going to be like and if there are any differences or things because to my knowledge once a tv station gets uh, a a film they can do what they want with it right they can make edits and cuts and they can change stuff around and yeah they can i mean it's it'll be kind of a uh um it'll be an experience (laughs) i suppose i'm gonna i'm gonna be live tweeting during the uh the broadcast and stuff so oh yeah I'll, i'll definitely be uh watching my twitter then uh, <laughs> cool. one final question what's next what do you got what do you got what are you working on next oh it's a good question um i mean i feel like i want to do something that's mine right something that i wrote from the ground up um you know I, i'm not uh, you know opposed to you know more paid work um because it's it's a, it's a tricky thing being an indie filmmaker and trying to you know make a living and yeah, uh, gotta pay the bills you know yeah, got to pay the bills. Um, and, uh, you know, Detours, would, I mean, for an indie, has been fairly successful, but I really haven't, you know, I haven't seen anything to, to break my bank quite yet. <laughs> um, but the thing I would really like to do next is, a, is an adaptation of my novel, uh, No Alternative, um, which was published two years ago. It's a, a well, it would be a movie about uh, teenagers in the 90s who, you know, form a grunge band and try to become the next Nirvana, but the the real main character of the movie rejects all that. This, you know, preppy white girl from the suburbs who decides to reject grunge and become this X-rated, you know, male gangster rapper. Hmm. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> that sounds interesting. I would really, yeah, I, and it's it's not completely autobiographical, but you know, I I started a grunge band when I was in my teens, and my sister became a gangster rapper. She had this like crazy following. Um, just kind of hilarious and i always thought that she'd make a great character and i wrote the book um you know book did fairly well so i'm trying to um trying to leverage that into the next project ideally 
Very good. Well, best of luck with that. Make sure you uh, keep us posted on any updates. And Yeah, we'll do. And uh, if you haven't, uh, do you know, I guess you don't know after it airs on Lifetime what the, the availability will be like for Don't Look Back? Well, um, it's airing again, uh, I believe, October 19th, I think, like one or two weeks after the original air date. So people will be able to see it again. And from from what I know of Lifetime, I think it's pretty accessible on their website. You may even just be able to watch the movie for free on the website. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Don't hold me to it. Uh, but it's also it's also available right now on iTunes, Amazon Instant Video, Google Play, Vudu, and uh, Vimeo on demand. But there are a lot of platforms yeah. available. There you go. Probably best way to check it out would be on one of those video on demand platforms because then you're not dealing with commercial breaks and possible edits and things like that <laughs> yeah exactly exactly you might have to um, cut some of those sex scenes short we don't want that <laughs> gotta leave those in yeah yeah but the cut that's uh that's available online i mean that's uh yeah that's my my cut i mean granted i had you know i i took you know notes and, and had to make alterations but ultimately the, uh, the final cut of it uh is my approved um version so i'm quite happy with it. that's what well. can't speak for the tv version yet but we will we'll see someday <laughs> <laughs> oh well thanks so much for uh, taking some time to join me if uh do you have what's your uh do you want to give out your twitter uh, uh, handle yeah uh, absolutely at wd filmmaker all right there you go well thanks so much again for taking some time to talk with me yeah thanks a lot adam good to uh, talk to you again thanks again william be sure to check out don't look back on Video On Demand, and Lifetime On Demand also. Let's talk about something we've been watching. Kevin, I think that I will start it off this week. I finished my Children of the Corn marathon. Oh, yeah. So I watched Children of the Corn 4, The Gathering, Children of the Corn 5, Fields of Terror, Children of the Corn 666, (laughs) Isaac's Return, (laughs) <laughs> Children of the Corn Revelation <laughs> and going. Children of the Corn Genesis. Ooh. So you snuck the Genesis in there. I did, yeah. Yeah. I did not watch the two thousand nine remake of Children of the Corn. Oh. That wasn't on Netflix and I didn't I didn't care to rent it, so uh, anyway, like I said last week, these are all on Netflix, so you can watch them all if you'd like. However, I would recommend against it. If you want to watch a horror series this Halloween, I would advise against watching Children of the Corn. It is a terrible, terrible series. Really? It is no good. Oh. It is not good. Oh. I, I, I think that I stand by my statement last week when I say that Puppet Master is still the worst series that I've seen, but... Is this a close second? It's a close second. Mm. Children of the Corn, all the movies are terrible, because none of them make sense. There's no there's no cohesive through line that's that connects these movies at all. I mean, the, the connections are so basic. It's like a town, and these kids are killing people. But... <laughs> None of it makes any sense. Like mm-hmm. the, the timelines all over the place. The the characters are all over the place. And in the first movie, they burn the cornfields, and then in the second movie, they ship all the kids to a neighboring town. Yeah. Yet 
in su- in subsequent movies, there's still kids in this town running it, and it's like, where do these kids come from? Yeah, where do they, they get their back there? Where do they get their endless supply of kids? It's an endless supply of children, and it seems to last generations. And I don't understand. Now, do they any keep throughout all these movies? Do they keep the the demonic corn? Sort of, sort of, yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> for some of them, it gets even more crazy. Some of the kids have like telekinetic powers. In part six. Isaac's return it they brought back the main villain kid from the first one okay apparently he didn't die even though we saw him die in the first one and he comes back he's in a coma and then he comes back and terrorizes people and that one's pretty terrible how old is he when he comes back is he aged yeah he's aged because don't like yeah after a certain age don't yes aren't you (laughs) sad yep uh, I love it. Uh, it's all about him trying to pass on his lineage or something. I don't know. None of it. None of it makes any sense. They're all pretty terrible. Part four stars Naomi Watts in an early role. She's she's okay in it, actually. That one was more watchable than the others. Part five stars Ava Mendez in a very early role. Fantastic. And that one also features Ahmed Zappa. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Oh, my. He gets killed really early in the movie. Oh. And it also features Alexis Rod... Uh, yeah, Rodriguez. Alexis Arquette before she became a woman. So she's still a dude in this movie. Ah, <laughs> uh, children of the goddamn corn. Yeah. The worst one, probably the newest one, Children of the Corn Genesis. I just watched this one last night. It's completely ridiculous there's only one kid in it first of all and is this like a reboot or is it like a remake what are they doing in this i have no idea at this point i have no idea (laughs) the movie the movie starts off with this guy coming home from the war and he finds that his mom's been killed and then he gets killed by a kid and then it cuts to the main story but they never go back to this guy getting killed by the kids. And there's like no point to it. It's a, okay. We see this opening scene, but it has no relevance to the rest of the movie whatsoever. It was so weird to see it just kind of tacked on there. Okay. But in the, in the latest one, which came out in 2011, it's about a, a couple that their car breaks down. They end up staying at this, weird religious guy's house and it turns out that they have a a kid that they keep locked up in a shed and this kid has powers and that's pretty much it and it has a ridiculous ending and everything about it is terrible oh my goodness love it so in summation children of the corn series not a good series at all they're all very forgettable, and they're all very boring. Oh, that's not good. Yeah, you would think that... Yeah, yeah because usually with those old, bad, schlocky yeah. movies, they're at least entertaining. Right. Oh, that's not good. If you're looking for a good movie that features children killing adults, I would suggest checking out a movie called The Children. Now, that movie is very creepy, 
very well made and it's way better than all of the children of the corn movies all of them put together even mm, yeah <laughs> yeah uh so children of the corn can't recommend it i can't even i mean the first one maybe just because i think a lot of people consider it to be a horror classic and it's based on the stephen king short story so maybe check out the first one but stay away from all of the others oh what is it seven eight of them eight well there's nine including the remake so good lord that's a lot of demonic corn yeah that's my favorite part that there's a movie exists with demonic corn yeah so one of them takes awesome so one of them takes place in a i believe it's revelation the seventh one it takes place in a an apartment building and there's one scene where the corn actually kills a girl in a bathtub <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny it's like a bath it's it's sort of like a play on the uh nightmare on elm street scene where freddy's hand comes up oh through the God. water and uh so it's an ear of corn but it's but it's it's not an ear of corn it's just the leaves <laughs> But it's, oh it's played God. straight. It sounds like it'd be a joke, right? It sounds like it'd be something silly. But it's played straight. And this these corn leaves kill this girl in a bathtub. It's <laughs> unbelievable. I don't think you understand yeah. that you just inadvertently sold the shit out of that movie. Because yep, I want to see that, like, right now. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that one is Children of the Corn 7. Wow. Unbelievable. Killer corn, man. Killer corn. Killer Check. corn. Check it out. Check it out. Kill a corn. Oh, my goodness. I watched uh, 1965's The Tenth Victim from Mr. Elio Petri. Introduced myself to his filmography. And I got to say, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to going through more of these. Because this movie is just all types of silly. Hmm. It's a camp fest. All right. You got to know that going in. I'm interested. Futuristic movie. Like ultra, ultra mod setting going on here. And there's just a lot of weird stuff thrown in the mix. And just a lot of it's just like lightly touched upon. They don't really even, you know, dig deep into it. But the main concept of this movie is that they've created the Department of the Hunt. And they put on the Big Hunt International Hunting Competition. Where people with homicidal tendencies, they get to sign up with the Department of the Hunt and kill each other. solves everything there's no more wars there's no more murdering because now you just have to sign up it's all you got to do so what you do it's it's kind of like a game of tag but with murder so you start off as either uh, the hunter or the prey why would you why would you be the prey (laughs) you no. this is how it works when you have to do it alternatively so one time you're the hunter and you have to hunt your prey and you get all this information about them and you got to track him and kill him. And once you kill that person, you then become the prey. So you have oh. to survive too. So you don't get to just kill the whole right. time. Okay. You got to survive too. But after your 10th kill as a hunter, you get to become, you get like all these benefits. You get a million dollars, you get discounts. Like your life just becomes amazing. <laughs> Discounts. They give you like a huge parade. <laughs> you get a complimentary <laughs> Sam's Club membership. You get all sorts of shit, man. It's unbelievable. But all you got, you just got to make it through 
10 kills. You got to kill 10 people. But, you know, in between that, you got to be the prey as well. Yeah. And the, 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 the thing that along, goes along with being the prey is you have to kill your killer that's hunting you. But if you accidentally kill the wrong person, it's 30 years in jail. So you have to cool. make sure that you're killing your hunter or everything is just your life turns to shit. So you have all of this going on. And there's just people running around shooting each other. That's all they're doing. And you have Marcello being, he's the, he's the prey. And you have the hunter is a, an American model, Ursula Andrus, who's tracking them down. Which, when they show their hunting, it's all elaborate. And she's trying to trick them in because she gets a corporate sponsorship. And they're trying to film a commercial while she kills them. And it's just, it's insanity. But man, is it fun. Oh, you sold it's me just, on this. Yeah, it is just ridiculously fun. I'm absolutely going to see this one. The only thing is the... Well, there's a couple flaws to it, but the big one being the score is just this jazz bebop song that plays incessantly throughout. And at first, you're like, yeah, I like this. It's got this sweet jazz soundtrack to it, but they never switch it up. It's just the same song over and mm. over again. And uh. by the end of the movie, you're like, fucking stop it with the bebopping, please. Because it's just a bunch of weird vocalizations set to an organ. So, and there's no blood, which makes hmm. everything very odd and just. Well, it's, it looks disturbing. like it's billed as a comedy. Yeah, oh, it's definitely a comedy. It's not. It's not really played straight here at all. Hmm. It's just. It's something else. It's a shitload of fun. And how did you see this? I saw this on Fandor. Okay, the tenth victim on Fandor. Check that out. All right, I saw one called The Devil Incarnate, which is. I guess also known as copy the first entry. What? Yeah. On Letterboxd, it's listed as copy the first entry. Copy the first entry. Yeah. But does, they, does that the make... DVD that I have says the devil incarnate. So they must have done a title change at some point. Uh, so this is your typical found footage movie. Really? Oh, God. That's, that's all you had to say. Yeah, I don't I have much to say about it because it's your very typical found footage movie. It's a it's about a newlywed couple who are on their honeymoon. They find out that the wife is pregnant. They're very happy. They end up going into someone's house. They break into someone's house, essentially. And it turns out to be this old woman who, I guess, there's some sort of curse that gets cast on her and... She starts acting all possessed, and and uh, things progressively get worse, and then eventually shit hits the fan, and she goes crazy. Oh man, shit is always hitting the fan. It why? Has, do, why do they break into a house? I don't know, because they're idiots. Well, like, hey, you're expecting a child. Let's go break into a house. Yeah, they're idiots. They just walk into this old lady's house and get cursed. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Well, I guess maybe there was already some sort of curse taking place. They go to this fortune teller and... Oh, you never go to a fortune yeah. teller. It's uh, it's very poorly made. It contains all of the found footage tropes that you and I have grown to hate over the years. Like the digital distortion that happens. And it's like, 
Can none of these people buy a decent camera? Where are they buying their cameras that there's always problems with the video? Punch up. Yeah. They're buying these crappy cameras where the video is always messed up. I'd be pissed. I'd be pissed if I was shooting my honeymoon and I go back and play it and there's like all this messed up distortion with the video. (laughs) That would really bother me. (laughs) One of the other things that bothered me in this movie is it switches back and forth between just shooting it regularly and found footage. So they don't even stick with the found footage thing. What? And yeah. And not only that, that, but every time they switch to the found footage perspective, they add scan lines to the video. So we know, so we know that it's found footage, but the thing that pisses me off about that, anyone that has any kind of, technical knowledge will know that scan lines are from old CRT televisions and monitors. That's where those scan lines are from. So if we're watching a digital video on a regular TV, a flat screen TV, there wouldn't be scan lines. So it's like, it's little nitpicks that I have with a lot of these. you're You're getting all worked up about scan lines. Well, it adds up. I mean, if, <laughs> if they're trying to make us think that they're recording this and what we're seeing is the actual footage, it just doesn't work. And it, and every little piece of that, that that doesn't make sense, it adds up. And then eventually you're just like, what is this? They're just using it as a crutch. Yeah. There's, a, there's just a lot of little things about this movie that I couldn't stand. Like, there there had to be the obligatory line where... They go to, so they get to their new home and he, the husband meets with his sister and he's like, Hey, can you shoot the baby shower? I think you'd be better at it than me. And it's like, what, what makes us think that the sister would be better at shooting the baby shower? And then it's like, all of a sudden we're like, Oh, okay. It's so we can see him. It's so that he can get in front of the camera. And then for the rest of the movie, it's the sister that's shooting all the footage. Okay. And of course, she's your typical moody goth girl who discovers things are going wrong and nobody believes her because she's sort of like the black sheep of the family. It also takes place in Florida and they, they talk about FSU a lot and the one character is going to FSU because of their great journalism program. But FSU doesn't have a journalism program, so <laughs> that's uh, inaccurate as well. Uh, and I'm oh. just highlighting nitpicks with this. You can read my review in full on the site. It's not a good movie. I, I didn't even consider like the FSU thing in my review. As a whole, this movie is your typical, completely forgettable, found footage garbage. Sounds like it. Why is there three eyes in copy? Because copy is some sort of... I can't remember. It's like it means something. It's like demon. Oh. Something to do with a baby or curse or something. Oh, boy. Oh, man. It's awful. And also there's this ridiculous framing device that that they include. The movie starts off with the sister with a shaved head being interrogated by police and then the whole movie is her telling the story of what happened but it never 
goes back to why she has a shaved head or why she's being interrogated or anything like that. There's a post credit sequence that happens that sort of goes back to it, but it still seems pointless by that time. Oh man, that sounds awful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I watched one that's not awful and that's wake and fright. Ooh, finally got to see the old Wake and Fright. Just very curious to hear your thoughts on this one. This is fucking terrifying. <laughs> it's so goddamn terrifying. I just wanted it to be over in a good way. Because it scared the shit out of me that much. I just, I couldn't handle it anymore. But it's I just, not your, it's no, not your it's typical not. horror movie. No, it's not. Because it's just, it's... The problem that it's so terrifying is it's so fucking realistic with just being trapped in a place and mm-hmm. just copious amounts of alcohol going down your gullet and then you get uh, sucked s- into a time warp. So much. So much alcohol. So much alcohol. And it's tough. You know, you want to not drink, but it's the Yaba. Everyone's buying you drinks. They're just so fucking accommodating. It's almost as if they get pissed if you don't yeah. drink. He, I love that the the sheriff just keeps staring them down yeah, until these he are the, chugs his beer. And these are the type of people you do not want to piss off. No, you don't want to find out what happens if you don't chug your beer. Or if you don't drink the beer that they just bought you. You don't want to find out. Because you know what happens when you do drink the beer. And that's terrible. So imagine if you don't drink it. You're, you probably replace the kangaroos is what happens. And there's Probably. kangaroo slaughter, which yeah, that, is just unnerving and unsettling. Yeah, that that and, is one, oh. one thing. One thing about this movie is that there is a very disturbing scene of a lot of kangaroos being killed. And it's real. Oh, God. Oh, my God. I just And I don't know how... Uh, what's his name? Ted Kotchoff? The guy that fucking directed Weekend at Bernie's? Yeah. What the fuck? I don't know how he did it, but as soon as uh, John Grant, the bonded school teacher of Taboonda, gets to the Yaba, it just he gets sucked into this like time warp, where it felt like that section of the movie. It felt like I was watching it for like seven hours. Yeah, yeah. And I just I don't know how he did it. I don't know if that happened to anyone else or if that was just me. But I just wanted out so bad. I just wanted to get out, and then I finally thought we did. I thought we were out of the Yaba. He hitches a ride, and you're like, thank God, this nightmare is over. And then you end up back at the Yaba. It's just, it was like purgatory, and it scared the shit out of me. Yeah, because one of the things about it is so is how easily it happened to him where he became trapped in this town. And how there was just, there's nothing he could do. He was just stuck there. He couldn't get out. He couldn't get out. And he just keeps drinking alcohol, and it makes everything worse. Well, I mean, it's partially his own fault. It's because definitely of, his own fault. Because of the gambling, but... Which, I mean, high-stakes gambling on flipping some coins. Flipping coins, yeah. Flipping <laughs> coins, man. Uh, Small towns, what's up? How we how we entertain ourselves. Oh, yeah, I saw, goodness. I saw this movie twice. I saw it. I saw some crappy version of it, and then I saw it after... Uh, Draft House put it out on Blu-ray, and if if you can see it in its high definition form, I highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, I mean the cinematography in it is just amazing. It's so rough, 
mm-hmm. with the rough handheld and the you know poor yeah. lighting, but it's, and it's also so claustrophobic. Oh my god! Yeah. It's it's a very gritty oh, it's movie. So gritty. Everything looks hot too. Everybody's constantly dirty and sweaty. Yeah, it's just it just it looks like the worst thing ever. Because you know, in those crowded bars, you you don't have air conditioning in the it in just yeah. I'm just imagining Australia in the 70s in the outback just had to have a terrible stench to it. Oh, I'm sure. I am sure. Just oh my goodness. Now, how I, did you how did you see this one? Was this on Fandor too? No, this is on Netflix now. Okay, you can so, watch this on Netflix. And this yeah. is this is one of those movies that I didn't I didn't enjoy myself while watching it. And I really never want to watch it again because it's that unnerving and just it terrifies the shit out of me. And I just never want to go through it again. But I highly recommend going through it once. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Oh, man, I just don't want to do that again. Again, I'll reiterate that it's not a typical horror movie. No, it's not. the, mm. the, The horror lies in some unexpected places. It's a different kind of horror. Oof. Oof. We got a Bernie's. Yeah. What the, f- <laughs> what, what the yep. fuck? I don't understand, but whatever. So I saw a found footage horror film. Stop it. Stop doing this to yourself. Seriously. Well, I don't know. They they send me these movies and I they, don't know. They, you don't have to watch them. I don't know that they're found footage horror until after I pop them in. We got to start fighting back, Adam. Yeah. At yeah. some point, we have to fight back. <laughs> okay. Well, I my version of fighting back is the bad reviews that I'm writing. It doesn't. These. It doesn't stop though. It's not working. We well, have to come up with a different. If I write system. enough bad reviews for these movies, maybe it'll help. This one was actually pretty. It started off promising. Okay. What's this one called? And it's called? it's called The Houses October Built, directed by Bobby Rowe. The premise of this one is it's about a group of friends that go on a cross-country road trip during Halloween to all of the, uh, like, the haunts. Okay. The haunted houses that come up every season. And they focus on the ones that are kind of the homemade haunts, right. not the Field of Screams, you know, or Jesus Halloween, Halloween Horror Nights or any of those other ones. They kind of focus on the... More homebrew versions, and their goal is to document these different haunts and find the most extreme ones. And the thing about this movie, it had a cool concept because when they actually go through the haunted houses, it's all done in a found footage style, so it's all first person perspective. Mm-hmm. And I found that to be really effective. The, the haunted houses that they went through were genuinely creepy, and it was cool. That It was one of the reasons that I actually liked that Frankenstein's Army movie, because it felt like I was going through a haunted house without actually yeah. going through a haunted house. Like you're part of the action. Right, right. Because I actually hate haunted houses, so... Why, why do you hate haunted houses? Because they freak me out. They scare me too bad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, I, I want to go I'll, through. I, I, I will go through a haunted it. house with you. I will admit it. I do not enjoy haunted houses because they freak me out. <laughs> I have a very vivid imagination, and I have a hard time distinguishing <laughs> reality <laughs> from <laughs> fantasy. 
So uh, when I go through a haunted house, it is it is very freaky to me. I mean that that's not to say that I wouldn't go. I mean I went to Halloween Horror Nights two years ago and had a lot of fun, but I generally don't prefer those. So anyway, uh, this would have worked better, I think, if the found footage stuff was only used when they were actually going through the haunted houses. If they made the rest of it just a traditional style of shooting, I think it would have worked better. The other thing that I hated about this movie was the characters. There's a quite a number of them. There's like six, I think there's like six of them. And they're all very generic and pretty terrible people. So I didn't really care about what happened to them. And the other problem that I had was that it would switch perspectives from the different characters because we had multiple cameras. And several times throughout the movie, I didn't know whose perspective we were seeing from because I just there, I had no connection to any of the characters at all. Mm-hmm. So I was confused as to who, who was who throughout the movie. This is also a movie that these characters pretty much encompass everything I hate about being white. <laughs> they were complete assholes to everyone around them. They were... They were just like raging dude bros raging the whole time. Oh, you shouldn't talk about us that way. Yeah. You forget that we're raging the dude bros. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It does have some... Oh, man. Genuinely scary moments in it, so I will give it that. I have a full review for this up on the site. I think I gave it a maybe a three and a half or a four out of ten. I gave it a two on Letterboxd. It does sound interesting. I mean, the premise of it. Yeah. It sounds I mean, like you could do some really good stuff with that. Right, right. I think that I sticking with the haunted house theme, I probably liked uh American Scream more the documentary about haunted which, houses which is weird because i've seen a little bit about where i was reading the houses that october built and that's what i thought it was i thought it was a documentary yeah i didn't know it was found footage horror they mix in they mix in actual documentary footage just the real interviews in it okay but not not a whole lot of stuff and it's one of those where it's difficult to tell what's real and what's fake which is good i mean that's that's a good thing about it yeah but all of the stuff with the group of of friends you know is there's absolutely nothing real about that because they're not very good actors but anyway the the premise is that they piss off some of these performers at one of the houses early on in the trip with their whiteness and and basically yeah well the one dude dude Dude, bro, in it. He climbs up on a wall and is kind of standing above everybody that's at the haunted house. And he says something through a megaphone and it pisses off the performers. And they're just assholes. They're just general assholes. Like, they'll, the performers will tell them not to film and they'll do it anyway. And they'll just be pricks to these people. Mm. Mm. And what happens is some of the performers start stalking them basically nice following them and messing with them and things escalate it gets pretty rough at the end i did not like the ending at all i thought that it happened too abruptly and didn't make a lot of sense but 
If you're into <clears throat> found footage horror, this one is not absolutely unwatchable. Okay. <laughs> but I, I still can't recommend at the, it. At this point in the game, that's high praise. I still can't recommend it. Uh-huh. it like I said, it does have some scary <laughs> moments. So it has that going for it. If you're just looking for some cheap scares, yeah, maybe check it out. This is on demand right now. Okay. I won't be checking that out. No, no. Mm. Oh, I watched a documentary from, uh, I guess, this year or last year. I don't know. Who is uh, Dayani Crystal? Well, who is Dayani Crystal? <laughs> oh, that's part of the mystery. You got to watch the movie. I ain't going to tell you. Oh, that's this fine. Is, I mean, this is it's it's a good doc. Okay. This is from Mark Silver and Gil Garcia Bernal. They... You know, there's a mystery man found dead in the Arizona desert. He has tattoo on his chest, Dayani Crystal. So they're trying to find this guy. So, you know, the documentary follows the sheriff's department, the medical examiner's office, you know, them working with the consulates of the different various countries and trying to figure out the identity of this man, trying to find out who he is, where he came from. So the documentary traces that, and then along the way, they sort of get into other issues revolving around immigration and people coming into the U.S. through the Mexican border, and it's all rather interesting. You know, it's sort of two stories going on at the same time. It's this immigration documentary, but then at the same time, they have Gail Garcia Bernal retracing the man's journey into the Arizona desert. Hmm. So he, they find out who he is. And he goes back to his hometown, and then he goes through the journey, which is the distracting portion of this documentary. I understand retracing the guy's journey. That makes sense to me. I like that story. It gives it a personal touch. But what I don't understand is the fact that Gil Garcia had to play the man in like a recreation, Hmm. complete with fake tattoos on his chest. So when he's going through the journey, again, very interesting because, you know, he rides the same train that the guy rode and he stops at the same places and he talks to other immigrants that are making the journey. And it's all rather interesting. But there's numerous times throughout this journey where he's stopping in these small towns and everything. And the camera focuses on Gail Garcia and his reaction to things like his contemplative looks and his concerned looks and it's just like why are you the focus of this documentary it just it sort of takes away from what they're trying to yeah trying to get across yeah it just it's so unnecessary like i understand again i understand going through the journey i like that but i don't i don't think that gail garcia has to play the guy it's just unnecessary and it takes away from a rather good documentary so it's like a light recommend. You just got to get past Gail Garcia for some reason forcing his way into this one. And this okay. is also on Netflix. And that's who is Dayani Cristal? Yeah. Check that out. And on you Netflix. you find out who he is and of course it's it's sad as all hell. I'm sure. Sure it is. Well, at least you do find out who he is. That would have kind of sucked if you didn't. I think if they didn't they wouldn't have a documentary. Yeah, I guess not. <laughs> they would have just scrapped it. I saw I saw a documentary as well. It's called Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is the directorial debut of Mike Myers. Oh, how about that? Yeah. And it's about the 
manager, Shep Gordon, and his life. Now, I, n- I never knew who Shep Gordon was prior to first reading about this movie. And I got to say, this is a guy I wish I knew. This is a guy I would love to have a conversation with. Because he seems like the coolest, most down-to-earth, nicest guy. And it's so rare that you see a documentary about the the business side of entertainment and have characters be kind and and likable, you know? I think that a lot of times managers and promoters and people like that have this kind of stigma of being a little sleazy. Well, yeah, there's that stereotype where they're just selfish, self-serving, just taking advantage of people. Right, but when you see this movie, you realize that that Shep Gordon is the exception to that rule. He's a very charismatic, very kind soul. And it's his life story is so crazy and amazing. The whole time I was watching, I was like, I just can't believe this. So he his career starts off as he, he was living, he moved to LA and he was living in, I can't remember, there was a, there's a famous hotel in LA where a lot of musicians used to live. And he first moved in and he had a chance encounter with Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix. And as a joke, they said, do you want to be our manager? And he said, yeah. So he became their sort of manager. And by manager, that meant that he was their weed dealer. <laughs> he got weed for him. And yes, he then, be- he then met Alice Cooper and became Alice Cooper's manager and essentially created the whole Alice Cooper character. Oh. You know, the, the stage presence. He's the Alice one that Cooper. ruined Alice Cooper. Oh, but this is like so early. I mean, he was with Alice Cooper before Alice Cooper was famous. Oh, I know. This was back in Frank Zappa days, I'm guessing. Yeah, because when Alice Cooper got a record deal, they were going to be on Frank Zappa's label because Mm -hmm. Frank Zappa broke off from Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers allowed Frank Zappa to create his own label and... They were going to put Alice Cooper on that label, but then Frank Zappa didn't want Alice Cooper on the label. So they kind of went to Warner Brothers, and then there was this huge lawsuit over which label it should be on. And like each pressing of the the record was a a different label, and I don't know if it ever got resolved. Oh my. I, I have to see this. These are the early, early days of Alice Cooper. And it gets a lot into the whole Alice Cooper thing because that's what really springboarded his career. But it also, he's been lifelong friends with Alice Cooper. He's retired now, but he's still Alice Cooper's manager. Oh, okay. And they go golfing together and they're, they're besties. <laughs> <laughs> but he another interesting aspect of his life is that he... He's the one that essentially created this the celebrity chef. He uh, before he got involved, there were there were famous chefs like Wolfgang Puck and Emeril Lagasse, but they never they didn't have managers because at the time there wasn't really it wasn't really a thing being yeah. a celebrity chef. Well, it didn't it wasn't a thing. 
So he can, he comes in and he ends up representing like 30 of the biggest chefs, including Julia Childs and all of these big name chefs that we all know now. And he got them together and helped create the Food Network and he helped with marketing, you know, how you go to a store now, there's a chef attached to everything oh, from yeah, I know. spices yeah. to pots and pans to everything. And he's he's the one that did that. So his career has been pretty prolific. It does sound amazing. Yeah. The documentary interviews a lot of people, including Emeril Lagasse, Mike, Michael Douglas, Sylvester Stallone, Tom Arnold. He got into the movie business, too. So he en- ended up meeting a lot of big-name celebrities and becoming friends with them and letting them into his home. He became acquaintances with the Dalai Lama. <laughs> I mean, it's... You gotta see it. It's uh. just... What a life this guy had. But it's it's a bittersweet story, also, because it gets <laughs> into the fact that he was living the life of these celebrities and not living his own life. So because his work completely consumed him, he never really had time to create a family of his own. Yeah. So it gets into that and it, and it seems like that is one of his biggest regrets, but overall the, the film has a very light tone. It's a fun movie. A lot of the interviews are really funny the Sylvester Stallone, all the stuff he says is really funny, and same with Michael Douglas. But yeah, I definitely recommend checking it out. By the time you're listening to this, I'll have a Blu-ray review up, although the Blu-ray doesn't have any special features at all. So this one's probably worth just renting it on VOD or one of your streaming services. Okay, all right. So Supermensch, The Legend of Shep Gordon. Supermensch. Yeah, I want to check that one out. Yeah, it's it's really good. Mm, I have nothing else. It's, okay, I did, I did, I I didn't finish it yet, but I did start the town that dreaded sundown oh, last night. Okay, all right. And quick question for you, because you saw it. Mm-hmm. What the fuck am I watching? <laughs> You'll just have to find out. I'll tell you because <laughs> I just saw the I just saw this, this movie. I just saw this for the first time like a couple weeks ago, and I was as surprised as you about just, what happens in this movie. I don't understand what the fuck is going on. It's just, very. It's, it's a just, very odd movie. It's, there's so much going on. Yeah. It's a mixture of so many different things. Yeah. And none of them are working. And it's it's just mind boggling, really. It is a very like, odd movie. Like, just out of nowhere, they just break to do some, like, silly comedy. Yeah. Where the guy's like, I can't find the, the mu- keys to the car. Yeah. And the music, <laughs> like, too. How they put put the goofy music yeah. in there. It's like, what, what the fuck? What the fuck is going on? And yep. then they have the, the narration throughout, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, like, the worst narration I've yes. ever heard in my life. The fact that, you know, the, the, sh- whole- the deputy sheriff comes out and he, like, lifts up his gun. Then the narrator comes on and he's like, he saw a glimpse of him. But he didn't shoot. It's like, I know that. I just saw it literally <laughs> it felt- a split second ago. And he's like, he was holding a 12-gauge shotgun. I'm like, yes, I know, I can see it. I see the image on my screen. The whole movie felt like an episode of Dukes of Hazard to me. <laughs> and I had to step... I ended up stopping at the trombone scene. Oh, okay. 
because I couldn't handle it anymore. That, that seems the best scene. <laughs> it is the most ridiculous thing I've seen in quite some time. This movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really curious to see the, the remake because I want to know if they I, stick with the, I know. the tone. I I'm the same way. Like, I had no interest in the reboot or remake or whatever the hell it is. But now I just want to see where they go with it. Because I feel like it would really be doing the story a disservice if they kept it, if they just made it a straight up slasher movie. Which I think that that may be what it is, but I don't know. I thought the original one was just going to be a straight up slasher movie. So That's what I thought. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. uh, definitely an odd duck. There's that movie. so much unnecessary narration. Like I say, just get silly. Yeah, the whole time I was watching it, I was like, I don't know what this is, but I love it. Because <laughs> it was just so weird and terrible. <laughs> oh my god, I completely forgot. The the drag scene. What? Yeah. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> what is happening? I, it makes me wonder if they did that in real life. Like if... Cause this is supposed to be like a docudrama. I know. I want to know how much and, of this and I want is to based know, on... I want to know if they actually did that because that would be hilarious. It's Oh, my God. Uh, so I, well, look for, I, I look forward to finishing that one. I saw, I saw a couple more things that I'll just touch on briefly. I saw See No Evil 2, which is coming out on uh, DVD and VOD this week, I believe on Tuesday. So I didn't like See No Evil 1, which stars Kane from the WWE. Kane. I hated the first one, actually. But this one I was curious about because Jen and Silva Sasuke direct it. Okay. And, you know, it ended up being a pretty typical slasher movie. It takes place in, in one location. It, it feels very low budget. It stars Danielle Harris, who... A lot of horror fans know her from a lot of horror movies. She started off in, I think, Halloween, I don't know, Halloween 5 or 4 or something. But she's been in a ton of stuff. She was in the Rob Zombie Halloween remakes. Uh, This is, I don't have a lot to say. It's pretty typical slasher movie. There were a couple interesting things about it. A lot of, some of the, the kills were well shot and some of the kills were interesting but for the most part, yeah, it's your typical Michael Myers-esque slasher movie where he's hunting down a bunch of jerk-off kids in a morgue. Okay. All right. And Why are there jerk-off kids in a morgue? Uh, because Danielle Harris works there, okay. and it was her birthday. Ah. Uh, so her friends... Surprise at the morgue. Yeah, oh, yes, man. Yes, yes, That's the best. It's pretty bad. Uh, pretty forgettable. One one of the interesting things is that Kane is such a huge hulk of a man that it's like uh, Maniac Cop 2 where he just, he doesn't just open doors, he just smashes through every door he sees. And that's entertaining. <laughs> uh, that actually sounds pretty cool. And like I said, some of the kills are creative and fairly graphic, but eh, not, not a lot to say. I think that the the Sasuke twins I'm still interested in seeing more of their work but I think that maybe they were bound by the 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 story the constraints of this story and 
it seems like they maybe weren't allowed to do a, a lot of their own thing yeah, in it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so I can't really recommend See No Evil 2. Mm-hmm. As far as slashers go, maybe it's more interesting than, say, Hatchet 3. But, eh. Uh, uh, real quickly, I also saw The Hobbit. Yeah, one. here we go. Saw both of the Hobbit movies. Oh, so I've you been did playing. See, you saw the yeah, second one. Yeah, I saw the I saw the the second one also. So I I've been playing this Shadow Mordor game, which takes place in the the Tolkien universe, and I've never seen any of the Lord of the Rings movies, and I've never seen the two Hobbit movies. So I knew that the Hobbit takes place before Lord of the Rings. I I know a decent bit about the lore, just you know through everything just because they i feel like they're pretty pretty steeped into our culture these days so i know a lot about them without having to see them sort of like you and star trek or me and star trek also yeah that was the same way with like star wars right so i checked out the hob the first two hobbit movies and man i gotta say i don't know what i don't know what is going on in these movies they are so <laughs> long I mean, each of them are three hours. Are you kidding me? Mm. In the first one, it literally takes them 35 minutes just to start on their little journey. And by the end of the movie, I was like, okay, what happened? There's, there was two little action scenes and the rest of the time it was just, they were just walking. They were just walking to their destination. It seems like Peter Jackson has just made a huge career out of just stretching the shit out of these stories. And here's the thing. I understand that Peter Jackson is a big fan of the the mythology and the stories. And he wants to give each character... Because each character has their own backstory. And, and the characters are very rich. And I understand that he wants to give each of them their due and focus on each of them and... Give us little glimpses into the lives of these people. But there's 14 of them that go on the journey. 14. <laughs> let's let's just speed it up a little bit. <laughs> I mean, the second one, I will say, the, the Desolation of Smaug, that one is better. I enjoyed that one more. I found it to be more entertaining. I did fall asleep in the first one once. Uh, and I had, uh, to, I had to roll it back and see what I missed. See, this is the main the, reason that I haven't watched, and because uh, I just I've tried, I tried one Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah, same and I here. Ju- I just can't, I can't stick with it that long. Yeah, I tried watching the first Lord of the Rings years ago, and I fell asleep and haven't attempted it since then. So, the Desolation of Smaug I liked significantly more than the first one. I felt like there was more progression. It was like they finally got to the the castle where they were going from the beginning and they had it out with Smaug, but still very little, very little happened. Although there were several scenes, there was a scene where they had to fight these giant spiders and it introduced the elves into it and they were pretty badass. And there's this scene where they get, they're in these barrels and they're going down a river. And that was a cool, that was a cool little action set piece. And, so there was a lot more that I liked in the second one, but they left it on a cliffhanger. And I've, I don't know if I've ever seen this in a movie before where 
it's literally a scene and they cut it off in the middle of a scene. And I've seen it in TV shows, you know, where they give you a, the big season ending cliffhanger to entice you to come back next season. But I just don't know if I've ever seen it in a movie. And after I was watching, I was like, you know, I'm glad I didn't have to review this movie when it came out for the site because how could I review it? It's not even a finished product. Yeah. They just end it. I mean, I'm sorry, but even if a movie is in a series, it should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. Well, no, because he's got to cut them up, put them out as other movies. I mean, you can You got to take one movie and turn it into five. I mean, you can leave a little... It's... uh, you can Adam, leave pieces dangling. You, Adam, know, you can it's leave called, the carrot out there, but... It's called movie just, magic. It's called movie magic. To cut it off right in the middle that like that. So basically, it's it's like they, they fight this dragon, and at the end, the dragon is heading towards the town. And they cut it off. And you're like, wait a minute. Something epic was about to happen, and you just cut it off? That seems like kind of a dick move. It was a dick move, Kevin. I have it was a, it was a, a dick move. A giant dick move. Yes. So anyway, I did enjoy it though. Maybe a little a little bit too long on, it on sa- the second one yeah, also. It sounds kind of bloated. These movies sound a bit bloated. Oh, they're extremely bloated. And from what I understand, they add in parts that were not in the book in oh, order yeah. to yeah. in order to connect them more with the Lord of the Rings series of movies. Oh yeah, I've heard all about that. I guess fans didn't like that, but no, I have yeah. a I have a guy at work that's a huge Lord of the Rings guy, and he is so pissed off at Peter Jackson, just so oh, seething, seething with anger. Yeah, well, I never I I did read the book The Hobbit when I was young, but I remember nothing about it. So anyway, that's The Hobbit. I will be seeing the next one just because I have to now. Thanks. How many more are there? Like seven? No, there's just the one. Okay. Wait, but didn't they break it into two? Or no? I don't think so. I thought they broke the last one into two parts. I don't think Could so. Could be wrong. I don't care. I no, just, I'm pretty I... sure, I'm pretty sure it's just the one. I think that they were talking about something like that, but <clears throat> then they didn't. I just I don't care. Yeah. Alright, that's all I saw. Okay, let's get into our feature review. This week we're talking about Dead Snow 2, Red vs. Dead. This is directed by Tommy Ricola. Now, uh, before we get into it, I probably should say there will there will probably be some mild spoilers for the first Dead Snow because this one picks up right after the events of the first one. So, uh, minor spoilers for Dead Snow 1. I have a synopsis here. If the worst day of your life consisted of accidentally killing your girlfriend with an axe, chainsawing your own arm off, and watching in horror as your closest friends were devoured by a zombified Nazi battalion, you'd have to assume that things couldn't get much worse. In Martin's case, that was only the beginning. <laughs> so so this is a, a Norwegian film, but this one is kind of a Norwegian-English hybrid Indeed. of sorts. Which, uh, I talked about this movie a while ago, and I I found that to be its big detriment. But Kevin, what did you think of Dead Snow 2, Red vs. Dead? Uh, I completely agree with that. This is, it's a shit ton of fun. 
but the inclusion of the three Americans, the zombie squad, (laughs) just really took away from it. I just, I don't understand that decision. Because to me, Martin is the star of this movie. Martin is the star, and it also stars Martin Starr. Oh, not that guy. He's not the star. (laughs) (laughs) Vigor Hoyle is the star. He... Like, he can handle this movie all on his own because he has well, great comedic timing. And right. I found he's... out he's even fucking funny in English. Yeah, he is. So that's fantastic. But I don't understand why you have to add the American zombie squad in there. Unnecessary. Because you can do this whole movie in English. The thing, the thing with these Norwegian films, I've noticed that a lot of, a lot of times Norwegian actors, when they act in English, they don't even have accents or anything no it's like very they can, odd they can just do it perfect i i hate it because it's like god damn it you can speak english better than i can yeah jerk <laughs> such a it's jerk yeah it's crazy but going back to what you said if you took the americans out of this completely if you took the zombie squad out of it it'd be the exact same movie you know yeah. the, minus, minus a couple cutaways that they do with them it would be this the same movie because they add so little yeah, they do. to the story. And I mean, it just makes... Everything comes to a screeching halt when it does those cutaways. Every time yeah, every time it cuts away to them, I'm just like, ugh. Because for me, I'm having enough fun with Vigar. Vigar's yeah. Martin. I'm having enough fun there. I don't need anything else. Just reaction noises is all I need. Just the look of confusion and horror on his face. As he crushes a little kid's chest cavity. That's all I need. That That's all I need. Scene. All right? Oh, my God. I was on the floor when that scene occurred. Uh, it was so unexpected and so funny. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. But the zombie squad just kept interrupting things. The thing, the thing about it, though, it sounds like I'm complaining about the movie for that. But really, it didn't bring it down that much for me because everything else was so much fun and so ridiculous and so over the top that the inclusion of the zombie squad it sucked but at the same time it didn't really inhibit my enjoyment of the movie no not mine really either it's just like i said occasionally it just brings everything to a halt then you gotta build it back up again now this especially with the whole star wars thing i oh Oh my god! Why? Why? Ugh. I was so. There's one character. It's painful. Speaks in nothing but Star Wars lines. It was painful. Which doesn't make it sense. It made it stupid. It made it stupid. That was just stupid. Anyway, comparing this to the first one, this one's much different tonally. It's much more action oriented, less of a horror movie. What did you think of this one? Compared to the first one. Oh, man. Ugh. I liked this one more. I, I'm just going to throw that out there. Just because they go oh, completely overboard on this one. They do. Like, I mean, the tanks and the, the Russian army. and It's just so crazy. And the amount of gore in this movie is ramped up to 11 the whole time. I think I am... I think I like this one a bit more just because it, yeah. you know what it is. It's just 
fun. And it's I just, also like it's the, all comedy and gore, and that's it. Right. So just going back to the plot a little bit, the the main, the only survivor, the sole survivor of the first film, he at the end of the movie he cuts off his own arm and he gets away. And the beginning of this movie, we find out that he ends up in a hospital, and the doctors think that the zombie arm that he cuts off in the first one is his arm, and they sew it onto him, and all of a sudden he has this zombie arm. That has super strength that he can use, and it can also raise the dead. And that mechanic alone makes this worth watching. Yes. Because at first he has no idea how strong he is, and a lot of funny things happen. Especially that poor American kid. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what he gets, stupid American yeah. kid. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy that that happened. I know that sounds just watching him, terrible, but... Just watching him punch zombies in the face and their heads <laughs> just explode. <laughs> the, the, first, the first time he goes through the you know the group of zombies just smashing their heads, every reaction sound that immediately followed what what he did just oh had me rolling. Honestly, I I recommend these movies just based on the strength of his reactions. Yeah, he's uh, to me that makes me makes me instantly enjoy these movies. Yeah, he's a very unlikely hero, and just the situation that he is in and his way of dealing with it, and uh, it's priceless. That's what I mean. Like he he's funny enough in this movie. His comedic timing can surely carry this entire film. I agree. That's why I don't I understand why they had to throw in. The zombie squad. What'd you think of the character of Glenn? Because he was he he becomes a pretty prominent character as well. I didn't mind Glenn. I like the I thought Glenn, I like, I thought Glenn he was sometimes funny. I like that he was he was really upset that he lost his jacket. <laughs> <laughs> he stole his jacket. I don't know why, but that made me laugh. And what did you think of the uh the sidekick zombie that they had <laughs> that they kept around with him? <laughs> they kept dying. Over and over. Uh, I he he worked and he didn't work. I did. I don't know. I'm I love. Kinda, the, I'm kind of if I'm back and forth on that one. Yeah the the scene that really did that for me was when they got stuck in the car and they used him to get out of the get out of the mud. <laughs> uh, I, that was. Crazy. I did enjoy when he first brought him back to life and then they turned their backs and it spooked him and he killed him instantly. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then he gets an axe in the face. Oh, yeah. This movie is a ton of fun. I didn't find it to be particularly scary. No. But it's not really meant to be. It's it's meant to just be crazy and completely balls to the wall the whole time. Especially once they introduce the Russian zombies in and then they start Oh yeah, it gets out of battling it. It out. gets out of hand. A lot of uh, disembowelment oh, in this movie. He has too. he has something for intestines, man. Yeah, it is all about intestines. Yeah. Everywhere, siphoning gas with intestines. That was that scene. That was crazy. Oh my goodness! What a ridiculously good time. So yeah, it's great. So I stupid. So, so. Highly recommend Dead Snow too. I 
I'm guessing that is the first one still on Netflix at this point? I think so. I think because it's been there for a while. I would assume that the first one's still on Netflix. Check out the first one. You'll enjoy that one, too. And then I highly recommend giving this one a rent, a rental. So what did you think of the ending? Um, a little, a little zombie fucking. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what to, I don't know what to think of that. It was almost too much at that point. It was a little bit. Especially, especially, especially set to that, that God awful song. Yeah. I, uh, I wasn't too keen on that, but it was fine. I guess it wasn't enough for me to be like, uh, didn't, didn't leave a bad taste in my mouth, I guess. Oh man. It was shocking. Yeah. It's definitely shocking. (laughs) It's unsettling. Yeah. And I loved how the wheelchair zombie came back. Mm Mm-hmm. I like that in this movie, if you're a wheelchair zombie, you don't keep the wheelchair. No, you don't. You gain, you gain the ability to walk. Except that other yeah. woman in a wheelchair, she got her head stomped in and yes. didn't come back. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of funny kills in this one. There is a lot they of funny kills. They just ramp it up. It's just so over the top. The kids, the kids in the sandbox. Oh my god, yeah. They're like, versus the tank. <laughs> There's kids getting killed. There's babies getting killed. This, this yeah, this the stroller scene too. Oh god, such terrible taste. But yeah, good times, good times at the same yeah, time. Absolutely, it will shock, it will offend. And fun fact: Russian zombies are green. Yeah, I'm not sure why that is, but there you go. Yeah, I don't know. I don't Didn't know. look like sea creatures for some reason. I probably just to distinguish them from the the Nazi ones. I think it would have been better if you couldn't distinguish them, and it's just a Nazi or a, a zombie free for all. No one knew who anyone was. It's just Nazi. Or why do I keep saying Nazis instead of zombies? Zombies killing um, each other. Yeah, this is. Uh, it it definitely plays with the the concept, the lore of Nazis. Right, now I'm doing it. <laughs> Zombies. The lore of nuts. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, how he can like Martin can resurrect them from the grave and they're intelligent. They they know what's going on. So it's almost like a Return of the Living Dead style Nazi almost. Zombie. Damn it. <laughs> Why'd you do this to me? <laughs> oh god. All right. Anyway, and I just love the fact that Martin, most of the time, like eighty percent of the time, he is just covered head to toe in blood. Yeah, just just drenched in guts and blood. Oh man, good. Okay, Dead Snow Two. I have no idea what I gave this. Seven. I give it a seven. I'll stick with that score. What are you gonna give Dead Snow Two? I think I'd probably give it. Uh, hmm. I'm gonna say like a, a six and a half. Six and a half. All right. I just instantly want to see more of these people. I want to find their other movies. Yeah. I just want to see more. I want to see Tommy Ricola do do more. I'll be very curious to see what he does next. Because Hansel and Gretel was not good. He needs to stay away from Americans. And I'm, yeah. Just stop. I'm, stop with Americans. Because everything that's bad I'm, is Americans. I'm wondering what he's what he's going to be doing next. Um, I'd like to see him pull away from dead snow and try something new and see what happens. 
I know that he's not. They they are doing Hansel and Gretel too, but he he's not directing it. Good. He's writing it, but he's not directing. That's it. fine. He can do that. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and talk about some predictions. Last week, Dracula Untold. You said twenty-two. I said thirty-one. Actual twenty-six. Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. You said 72. I said 56. Actual 66. Yeah. All right. So apparently that's not too bad. I'm still not going to bother. The Judge. You said 46. I said 42. Actual 47. Almost nailed it. Yeah. Yep. Next week we have Fury. Oh, boy. Fury. That looks awful. I, uh... I'm interested. I like, I like war movies, mm, but I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, no. <laughs> what are you thinking? I'm thinking uh, 58. 58. Okay, I will say 56 on that one. We also have the Book of Life, which is the uh, animated Day of the Dead style film. I like the look of this movie. I was really surprised when you said you were going to be seeing this. I like the look of it. I don't. Oh, well then. I I do not like Mm. the look of the animation. I mean, it's colorful, but I just don't, not digging the style of that one. I'm going to say 50, you know what, no, I'll say 61. 61. I'm going to go 68. All right. And we also have the best of me. That's the Nicholas Sparks one. Oh. oh boy, I don't know. Have you seen trailers for this one? No. Wow. Oh my goodness. It looks so bad. Why doesn't he stop? Stop, please. Stop. I'm going to say 32. I'm going to say 24. Ooh. Going real low. <laughs> yeah. I just ugh. It just looks so bad. I, I'm not against romantic movies but these nicholas sparks ones man like how can you oh god they're so i just don't understand how you can like them so disgusting they're just so disgusting to me i agree they made in limited release they make me vomit a little bit in my mouth but i think about them exactly they do that to me too comes up it's like one of those acid you know like the acid burp (laughs) that's what it's like like Nicholas Sparks movie, new new Nicholas. Hey, you interested in the new Nicholas Sparks movie, The Best of Me with James Marsden, Michelle Moynihan? You know, <laughs> this is exactly what it's like. Yes. Uh, next week on lim- in limited release, we have the town that dreaded sundown. We have Birdman. Oh yeah. We also have Dear White People. Very excited for this one. I am too. Housebound. I'm very excited for that one. What's that? What's Housebound? It's a New Zealand horror comedy about a girl, a delinquent girl who is on house arrest and her house is haunted. Sign sign me up. So she can't leave, but the house is haunted. That's a great idea. Yeah. And and her, it's her parents home so her parents are there too so she's dealing with a ghost and dealing with her nagging parents oh and it's new zealand i think it's new zealand yeah man i heard nothing but good things about it it i believe it premiered at at south by and we didn't get a chance it's one of the few midnight movies that ryan and i didn't get a chance to see so I'll, i'll be very 
curious to check that one out. Uh, we also have Listen Up, Philip. Oh my God, thanks. Yeah, I know you're. I know I you're been, excited about. I've been one. waiting all year for this one. I can't wait. Mm. Can't wait. I'll, I'll give it another watch, but uh, it's it's. Shut fine, shut your face. Young ones. The TV show. This one I'm. No. Uh-huh. This is the one with uh, Michael Shannon. The one that takes place in the future. I'm I'm very interested. The young one. No, young ones. Oh, young ones. Okay. My apologies. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I can't remember who directed it. Somebody of note directed it. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jake Paltrow. Yes, Jake Paltrow, Gwyneth Paltrow's brother. Hmm. Yeah, I want to see that. Sounds interesting. Summer Blood also comes out in limited release next Oh, week. my God. Definitely check that one out. Definitely check that out if it's playing in your area. Uh, next week on Video On Demand, we have... Pull it up here. Dirty Weekend, uh, formerly titled Love Weekend. What? That's a movie called Dirty Weekend, but it was formerly titled Love Weekend. Is that the Love Weekend that I saw? No. No, I don't think okay. so. Okay. Um, Wolves. Wolves, which is a werewolf movie. Get out of here! Looks pretty, looks pretty rough. We got a screener, so we'll be reviewing it. <laughs> you will be. It's not found footage, so at least there's that. Uh, Housebound, extraterrestrial. I'm interested in seeing that one. Looks pretty scary. It looks like a kind of a classic alien abduction movie. Throwing, like fire in the sky. Throwing stuff together here. You know, cabin in the woods. Some yeah, aliens. Yeah, very, very interested in that one. Also, Summer of Blood comes out on VOD, so check that out. Oh my goodness, yes. Summer of Blood, the title's misleading. They make it sound like it's a horror movie or something, but it's not. It's a straight-up comedy that has some vampire elements in it. <laughs> oh. oh, that's a good time, that movie. Good time. Yep. Next week on DVD and Blu-ray, we don't have a whole lot. We have Beneath the Harvest Sky, Mr. Peabody and Sherman, Nothing Bad Can Happen. Recommend that. Definitely. And Whitey. Nothing Bad Can Happen. Still one of my favorites of the year. I think it's still one of my favorites of the year, too. Still one of my favorites. And I think it has the best performance of the year so far. I don't think anyone's beaten Julius Feldmeier's performance in that one as of yet. We have one Criterion coming out. Okay. My Darling Clementine from John Ford, oh 1946. A little bit of the old John Ford action. Oh, yeah. Doing the old OK Corral shootout. Henry Fonda. I just can't get into old westerns. No, don't like them. I, I, I suffered through one John Ford movie, and it's going to be a long time before I go back. I will go back at some point in time, but I am not looking forward to it. Yeah, they're just not my thing. Well, at least I saw The Searchers, which to me was just downright hokey. And that's supposed to be like one of his absolute classics. There you have it. All right. Well, I think that that will wrap it up for this week. Send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net. We'll be sure to answer them on the show. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at FilmPulseNet and at FilmPulseKevin. And be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For FilmPulse.net, my name is Adam. <laughs> Uh, I'll see you on Thursday for Ryan watches a movie. And if we should die tonight, we 
should all die together. Raise a glass of wine for the last time. Cooling out for the road. Prepare as we will watch the flames burn. His house has been overrun by two stink bugs.